Welcome to Weekend Ag Matters from the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Join us for an in-depth look at Iowa agriculture. Here's your host, Riley Smith. Hard to believe that 2023 is already coming to a close. The team here at the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network wishes you all a happy new year and good luck to those of you who will be pursuing your New Year's resolutions. Welcome into this week's edition of Weekend Ag Matters. I'm Riley Smith. Russ Parker, Dustin Huffman, and Mark Magnuson will join us later on in the show. As for right now, let's start with a quick look at the news headlines. And speaking of the new year, here are some ag economists' outlook on the 2024 crop year. Geopolitical factors, elections, and many other surprises await the agricultural economy next year. Farm Journal and Purdue University's December Economist Monthly Monitor shows views slightly more optimistic than they were a month ago. The economists talk about what unexpected news headlines they won't be surprised to see in 2024. The responses include China falling into a big recession. They wouldn't be surprised to see a second farm bill extension. Corn prices that test $4 again. And inflation will support managed money returning to the commodities. Record beef imports wouldn't be a surprise, as well as a national corn yield bigger than 190 bushels per acre. There are also reasons for optimism like demand opportunities through domestic soybean crushing, renewable fuel, and sustainable aviation fuel. They're looking for robust domestic consumption and an opportunity for competitive pricing for U.S. commodities in overseas markets. Many producers should still have strong balance sheets. In other news, the U.S. Customs and Border Protection reopened the Eagle Pass and El Paso rail crossings into Mexico. Ag groups like the National Corn Growers Association were happy with the move, but cautioned the agency against making similar decisions in the future. This is certainly a welcome relief, says NCGA President Harold Wool. We hope this serves as a cautionary tale against rail shutdowns in the future. He also says rail is a key mode of transportation for U.S. ag exports into Mexico. U.S. Wheat Associates and the National Association of Wheat Growers were also relieved that the shutdown ended. These rail corridors are essential gateways to many loyal flour millers and food customers in Mexico who rely on the interconnected U.S. and Mexican rail system for a reliable source of high-quality U.S. wheat. They said in a statement, We trust the CBP will take the steps needed to avoid future rail closures. And in other news, U.S. egg production totaled $9.3 billion during November, up 4% from November of 2022. Production included just over 8 billion table eggs and 1.28 billion hatching eggs, of which 1.19 billion were broiler type and 91.8 million were egg type. The average number of layers during November totaled 390 million, 3% higher than last year. November egg production per 100 layers was 2,385 eggs, 1% higher than November of last year. Total layers in the U.S. on December 1st were 389 million, up 3% from a year ago. That number consisted of 322 million layers producing table or market eggs, 63.9 million layers producing broiler-type hatching eggs, and 3.62 million layers producing egg-type hatching eggs. The rate of eggs laid per day on December 1st averaged 79.4 eggs per 100 layers, 1% higher than last December. Egg-type chicks hatched were 3% higher, and broiler-type chicks were down 3%. That's all the time we have for news headlines this week. Check out the rest of our daily news stories on iowaagnet.com. And while you're there, go ahead and sign up for our newsletter to get our daily content conveniently delivered to you every day. Don't forget, as well, our free twice-daily market podcast on Apple, Amazon, Google, Spotify, and Podbean. We also have our daily video product, Ag Matters PM. You can find that linked on the homepage to the website or on our YouTube channel. Just search 
Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Those daily episodes will be returning the first week of January. And of course, we have our new podcast product, Pods of Potential with Andy Peterson. You can find that on the website as well underneath the podcast tab. We'll go ahead and kick it over to Russ Parker with his faith-based food for thought right here on Weekend Ag Matters. Monday is the start of a new year. And oftentimes I have people say that it's time to turn the page or maybe close that book, an expression of moving on. And I'm sure for some of us, easier said than done. I think my near-term goal will be to simply print the correct year on my checks until I don't have to think about it. I know, I know, I still write checks. Mark Twain has a famous saying. It says, the two most important days in your life are the day you are born and the day that you find out why. Resolutions have never really been my thing for New Year's. But instead, I usually ask myself this question. Am I still relevant? Am I able to learn new skills, share knowledge, embrace change, balance my work and transition into retirement, and offer value and compassion in my relationships? So, for example, in these last few years, I've said to my boss that we'll both know when it's time for a page turn when one of these criteria of being relevant changes, which was not only inevitable, but kind of naturally happened as life cycled from one chapter to the next. What I think we also learn over time is that our definition or criteria for relevance changes. For example, how I look is really not that important anymore. Making a fashion statement is just not relevant for me. However, what I say, how I say it, and how it is understood still is highly relevant to me and for my grandchildren and my kids and my wife and my friends and others. I'd also say that what I have in terms of possessions is becoming less and less relevant, but the amount of time I have is becoming more and more relevant. So as we all enter into this new year, maybe we could consider and reconsider how we can determine our relevance. And perhaps the best yardstick is to ask ourselves, do we love our Lord with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our mind? And do we love our neighbor as ourselves? Food for thought, I hope. This is Russ Parker. Have a blessed day. Thanks, Russ. That's it for segment one on this week's episode. Coming up after this short break, Dustin talks with Iowa Ag Secretary Mike Nag. This is Weekend Ag Matters. If you thought soybeans were only used for tofu, think again. From tires and adhesives to next-generation asphalt, soy is used to create over 1,000 industrial products and counting. Thanks to your soy checkoff investment, the sky's the limit for Iowa soybean farmers. Oh, and speaking of skies, did I mention soy is also used in sustainable aviation fuel? The Iowa Soybean Association, powered by the soy checkoff, is driven to deliver for Iowa's 40,000 soybean farmers. Learn more at IASoybeans.com.
Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters. Here's your host, Dustin Hoffman. Well, it's hard to believe we're at the end of another month and another year here on Weekend Ag Matters. And, of course, that means at this time in the program schedule, we have a chance to sit down with Iowa Ag Secretary Mike Nag as we talk about where we are at with HPAI, kind of look back at the year that was and what he's looking forward to in 2024. First, though, let's start with some things that happened very recently, and that is with GREET. Uh, remind our listeners what GREET is and, and what happened. Well, you know, uh, devil's in the details every, every time we deal with, with something related to, uh, it seems like, with biofuels. But uh, in, in this, new, this news is good news. Uh, hope that it continues to play out that way. And the, the announcement that was made was that this all relates to uh, as we're moving towards uh, sustainable aviation fuel. And uh, the Department of the Treasury, the U.S. Department of Treasury, had to make a decision about how they were going to, what they were going to qualify or allow in terms of tax credits for sustainable aviation fuel. So the the way this works is uh, sustainable aviation fuel, which is bio-based, has to have a 50% uh, reduction in uh, in carbon intensity as, as compared to petroleum. And so uh, the model that's used to judge that is really important. So uh, there's a process to take ethanol and convert it into sustainable aviation fuel. And, and the score that ethanol gets for carbon intensity is critically important to making sure that that qualifies for those tax credits. So the GREET model is, uh, it was developed at the Argonne Labs Department of Energy. And, and it, of course, there's many models. I, I love the, the old adage that uh, all models are wrong. Some are just more useful than others. Well, as we know, uh, data in good data in, good data out. We want to make sure that the models that are used to score ethanol are the most up to date. You know, we don't irrigate every acre of corn in the state of Iowa. We're not clearing uh, rainforest in the state of Iowa to grow corn. You know, uh, th- there are old assumptions that are made uh, by by others, state of California and others, about how we do corn production here. Greek gets it right or is the best model. And uh, it's very, very important as we continue to develop this pathway to sustainable aviation fuel. So it's good news. And, and keeping it on biofuels just for a minute, we it only took them 10 times as long as it was supposed to. EPA finally uh, acted a little bit on what's going on with what Governor Reynolds and other Midwestern governors have tried to push for, and that's year-round E15 in at least eight Midwestern states. They finally moved it over to the Office of Budget and Management. Uh, what What's uh, the reaction there? Well, I suppose it was headed there anyway. Uh, as you say, the thing that's frustrating to me is that this this could have been dealt with months and months ago. It should have been dealt with months and months ago. What are we talking about here? We're talking about uh, consumers getting access to higher blends of domestic energy. And in, a, in an uncertain world, especially in an uncertain world in parts of the world where oil comes from, shouldn't we be thinking about those things? I mean, I just uh, filled up last night, 30 cents. 30 cents difference between uh, E10 and unleaded 88, E15. Uh, that matters to me. I'm, I've got multiple vehicles on the road with uh, teenage drivers and, and whatnot. You can be sure I'm looking at the fuel price, but Iowans benefit from that access to E15. My goodness, why can't we do that year round? And why can't more consumers in this country also have that opportunity to save money and burn domestic, domestically produced energy? All right. So moving on to other things that we've kind of had to cover this year, and one of them back in the kind of focus again is HPAI, high path avian influenza, 
Where are we at right now in the situation as we're getting ready to go into this Christmas holiday? I mean, the temperatures are cooler right now. Yeah. You know, that usually works in our favor a little bit. It, it does. I think we talked maybe last time about how, uh, you know, the, the ironically, the, the beautiful weather that we've been having during the fall kind of kept some of those birds around. And what we need is cooler weather, some ice to get on some water and push those birds south because wild birds, migratory birds are really carrying their reservoirs for those that virus. And as they move out of the area, then we do see it fall off. So we had, you know, uh, I think 19 cases this fall, starting up October 20th, we just had a new backyard flock, small backyard flock that uh, went positive here just recently. But my hope and expectation is that as we get in through Christmas and into the new year, uh, that we will see this trail off just like we did last year. And then the real question is all about, well, what happens this spring? Will those birds, those wild birds have developed a, a natural an immunity to this virus or will they once again be carrying it? I, I, I think it's important to stress here that uh, we've had uh, operations of all sizes, turkey, egg laying, big, small, backyard, game birds. The, the type of facility or the type of operation really, it, it shows that anybody is at risk here and that everybody can do something to improve biosecurity. But uh, we are dramatically better this year than we were in 2015. And, and that's a good thing. We've learned a lot of lessons about how to, how to manage this. And, and one thing you mentioned, and it's kind of what I was going to be bringing up next, it's the fact that it doesn't matter if it's a, a facility that's got thousands of layers or, or, or turkeys or whatever, or it's that backyard flock of six egg layers. It's just as serious, and, you, and IDALS takes it just as serious uh, from one case to the next. Well, we have, a, we have a responsibility to take it seriously and, and an obligation to. It's our job. But also when it comes to trade, it matters. Even a backyard flock of of 20 birds could have trade implications just as much as uh, the, the, the 1 million head uh, laying facility. And so that's why it is important to be so to have a effective response, to be communicating openly. We say all the time, it doesn't matter how many birds you have, you ought to be watching for the symptoms. And if you have any questions, call our office. Uh, better to know than, than, than not know. But really, this is all about trying to identify, contain, clean up and then move on and, and get back into production or at least be able to declare we are free of the virus again in the state of Iowa. That's what we're really pushing for. All right. So then looking ahead to 2024, what are some things on the horizon, maybe some goals you have? You know, at this point, as I look at 24, I, I'm thinking a lot about next level, always next level. Uh, I, again, when it comes to our animal industries, uh, our response, or even thinking about African swine fever preparations, we need to be at the next level in terms of what we're doing. Conservation. We've set records the last three years. I am, we are absolutely laser focused on making that four in a row. And what does that take? Well, that takes being creative and, and breaking through barriers. And, and we've got all kinds of capacity issues, but we've got more and more partners coming to help us out. So stay tuned. I'm, I know there'll be new things coming. A um, lot of good ideas out there about how to accelerate. And then on the market front, you know, we've got to stay focused on trade, exports, trade agreements. Um, we've got to fight for access for protein. You know, think Proposition 12, Massachusetts Question 3, market access domestically for biofuels and protein, critically important. I think it'll be a watershed year for that. And uh, of course, expanding Choose Iowa. Maybe the other policy piece will be around Farm Bill, uh, obviously at the national level. 
we need to get that across the line. And so that'll of course take focus here at some point during the year. And it seems at the end of the year, maybe in the holiday season, maybe as good a time as any, you know, we talk about water quality. We talk about the safety of the products we produce and, and gaining those markets. You know, consumers sometimes get fed the wrong information or maybe have the wrong impression of how things are done here and what's being done to be sustainable and improve water quality, improve soil health, all those things. And also knowing where their food comes from. What is something that these consumers need to know about these Iowa producers, no matter if they're producing organically or conventional you know, practices, conservation practices? What do these consumers need to know? Well, I, I like to start at the base level of we are so blessed and so fortunate that that we live in a country where we have uh, so much, uh, the food is plentiful. Uh, you, 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 you don't have to wonder where your next meal is coming from, or you don't have to wonder about you know, where access to a grocery store or that your uh, restaurants. I mean, we've got access to food in this country, unlike any place in the world. Now that's not saying there aren't food deserts in this state and grocery stores in particular, but I mean, as a, on, on as a whole, uh, we, uh, we absolutely are blessed to benefit from this great food and agriculture system. And it is provides the safest, most abundant, most affordable food supply in the world. As a percent of our income, we spend the least amount in the world on food. And that allows us to do other things, invest, start businesses, give to the church, give to charity, save for a child's education, do whatever you want uh, uh, because you're an American and that's part of the American dream. But you can't do that if you're spending 40, 50, 60% of your income on your food. Uh, so I, I, we need to celebrate that fact that we have abundance, we have quality, we have a variety, and uh, that only happens because of the food and ag system that we have in, in this state. And, and somewhere at the other end of that supply chain is a farmer, and they work awfully hard. But, but we need to do better always to be thinking about, are we listening to consumers? Are consumers hearing agro, you know, farmers? And, and do what we can to connect those dots and and pull back the curtain on ag. It's it's not a mystery. Let's not make it. Uh, let's not make it so. Let's be proud to tell a story, but also to listen to consumers as well. That again was Iowa Ag Secretary Mike Nag, and that puts the end on segment two here of Weekend Ag Matters. Mark Magnuson will be in to wrap up the show next. Now that harvest has wrapped up and temperatures have plummeted, farmers are finally able to take a breath and catch up on some year-end tasks in December. This month is an opportune time for farmers to reflect on what this year has provided in the way of obstacles, as well as learning experiences. But of course, the most important thing is that December is a month that is best enjoyed by sharing time with loved ones while celebrating the holiday season. From all of us at the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network, have a happy holiday season and remember to take some time to enjoy yourself in the company of your friends and family after a long year of hard work. Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters. Here is Mark Magnuson. Mark Magnuson for the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network, and I'm joined today by Jim Lappin with AMVAC. Jim at Trade Talk here today at NAFB in Kansas City. And Jim, what are you excited about to talk to people that are stopping by your booth here today? Well, we're talking about how AMVAC has evolved over the last few years, where we were known as a traditional company. We sold a lot of corn, soil insecticides that Iowa growers have enjoyed for many years and some herbicides, but we've really developed three new platforms where we have our proven chemistry, so we continue to sell insecticides, herbicides, fungicides. Under that arena, we have a new herbicide coming forward through EPA in there. 
we have our SimPass portfolio, which is a way for row crop growers to prescriptively apply products at plant so they get exactly what they need, precisely where they need it. And then we have our biological portfolio that's growing. So if you think about the world of biologicals, most of it's been evolving in the specialty crop arena, but we now have some products that are being adopted on broad basis in row crops. And not only do we have the products that can go whole field, but we've entered into this planter box space where growers who are using fluency agents, we're using those fluency agents as a carrier to bring incremental value to those products in the planter box. So I've heard when it comes to biologicals that the most successful way in the industry to get the word out about biologicals is to have that data to back it up and those results that show what biologicals are capable of. Have you found that to be the case? Absolutely. There's no there's no use like a, a use in my location, on my farm, in my arena, in my geography. So I have data that I can generate and cite and talk about uh, locally or regionally. Uh, so we've been quite active in that in that space as far as the biologicals go. Because our biologicals are very convenient to use, it's easier for a grower to either split a planter, uh, uh, put a strip trial. Uh, in the case of our SIMPAS system, using a biological in a SIMPAS or even a synthetic chemistry in a SIMPAS unit, again, each row has an independent control. Every cartridge has independent control. So I can do all kinds of on-farm testing in a commercial situation. So I don't have to go to the strip trialing of the past. I can go to a commercial operation and say, hey, I can try this product and leave uncheated untreated checks in every management zone to make sure I'm delivering the value that the grower expects. And am I also on the right track with biologicals that if you look at kind of what you need, what you're looking to get out of a biological, then that kind of steers you towards which biological you should go with to kind of try to get that end result? Many biologicals have very specific functions. We're fortunate, and one of our uh, premier selling biologicals is actually a multi-purpose biological. We have a product we sell called Invigorate. So Invigorate can be used as a broadcast at planting, uh, can be used in SIMPAS system, but what it does is it's actually a consortium of 23 different microbes, right? So the value of having that consortium is you don't always have the same set of conditions that evolve on a farm year to year. So you may have drier weather, wetter weather, uh, so aerobic, anaerobic conditions. You may have different kinds of stresses that occur. So I'll give you an example. Our product Invigorate, we've compared it to some of the nitrogen-fixing products. We have nitrogen-fixing components, and we've been able to demonstrate that we're getting a more consistent response than some of these nitrogen fixers. Not because we're a better nitrogen fixer, but because we're a nitrogen fixer, we're a P and K solubilizer, we can solubilize some micronutrients, we can mitigate against stresses, we got root biostimulants in the mix. So irregardless of the type of pressure that may occur in a given year, you have more likely to have one of those stresses occur versus a single stress that might occur under a, a very specific biological. Earlier you mentioned, I believe the term you used was a prescriptive or a prescription type setup so that you can make sure that the grower has exactly what they need. How does that process work? So our SIMPAS system is an aftermarket bolt-on system sold by Trimble. So a grower can go and buy the system from Trimble. We have a portfolio of product, our SIMPAS applied solutions that you can apply. So every row has three cartridges. Each one of those cartridges is independently controlled. So I can apply things whole field if I desire. I can do variable rate row by row. I can do very, very precise 
management zones prescriptively input by input, row by row. So I can, if I can write a shape file for where I want to put the product, the system will turn on and off at planter speeds of 8 to 10 miles an hour. Think of it like an inkjet printer. It's only putting on the color or the input where it's most needed, where that return on investment is greatest. Jim, is there anything else you'd like to let our viewers, our listeners back in the state of Iowa know about what you have at AMVAC right now available and what you're looking forward to in the future? So our newest biological, for those growers who aren't equipped with a rootworm insecticide system uh, and has experienced some rootworm issues, either uh, traits are failing more frequently, there's broad level of resistance out there in the field. So we're developing and launching a new uh, planter box treatment that not only does it combine a biostimulant, so something that colonizes the root and builds root system late in the season, it also combines a component that helps mitigate against rootworm feeding and pressure. So it triggers some of those natural defenses for that plant that, that detour the rootworm feeding. So again, you have less lodged corn, better stand, uh, better harvestability, and ultimately higher yields, and all through the simplicity and convenience of a planter box treatment. And what's the best way for our audience to find out more? Go to AMVAC.com, look for Green Solutions. Go to AMVAC.com, look for Approving Chemistry, or Simpass.com to learn about Simpass and that portfolio of products. Jim Lappin, a lot going on at AMVAC. Thanks so much for stopping by to tell us about it here today at Trade Talk, and have a great rest of the show. Thank you, and best of luck to the Iowa growers coming into the next season. Thank you once again to Jim Lappin of AMVAC, and that wraps up segment number three and this week's episode of Weekend Ag Matters. You can find this episode and all of our previous episodes of Weekend Ag Matters on the podcast page of our website at iowaagnet.com. Also, while you are visiting iowaagnet.com, don't forget to sign up for our daily newsletter, which delivers our five daily news stories to your inbox each and every day. On our website, you can also find ag market information anytime under the Market tab. For Russ Parker, Dustin Huffman, and Riley Smith, I'm Mark Magnuson. Thanks for listening, and join us again next week for Weekend Ag Matters on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network, where Iowa Ag Matters. <laughs>